welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. We know well that God is Father, and that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know He's shown us, spoken to us, communicated to us, demonstrated to us that that love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is the connection where the energy and the power is. And when he said, let us make humankind in our image, both male and female, he then created them. He created a people that would live in relationship to show us what God is like. God is a God of relationship. God is a God of connection. And when Jesus came willingly from heaven to be here, to walk amongst us, he didn't come reluctantly. He came with joy in his step. Because he knew that the end, although it would be painful of his time here on earth, although it would be dreadful, it was with joy he went forward. Because he knew that this was going to rename and reborn, sorry, reconnect the people that had disconnected in that garden. This was the best time to be God. <laughs> And when we see Jesus actually in his ministry, he's always, what is he doing? Painting a picture of what God is like. His words are important, but so is what he's doing and demonstrating and showing. And everything that he does, he wants to communicate both to the people he's with there and then. But to people through generation after generation to generation, I'm a God that wants to be in relationship with you. And I will do anything, like die on a cross, to ensure that that is possible. When he was in the garden with Adam and Eve, the relationship, the connection, was everything God had wanted it to be. You see, because God is love... That love can't even be contained within the Trinity. It spills out. It reaches out. And as we've been praying here, I pray that that would become a... We just can't avoid it. We just can't avoid telling people about God. It would be a compulsion within us that just says, I've got to tell you about the most amazing thing. Which a lot of people are just missing out there. And... When Adam and Eve did sin, eat the fruit, take the fruit, suddenly a new experience came upon them. Since they heard the sound of the Lord. Well, they'd heard the sound of the Lord day after day after day after day after day. And whenever they heard the sound of God, it was an excitement. God's coming. Oh, great. He's come for the walk. We're going to chat. We're going to talk. He'll tell us more of whatever they talked about. But this time, at the sound of the Lord, they experienced something new. And it was fear. Fear and shame. That they had done something that they knew was rebellion to him. So they hid behind a bush. It's not a very effective way to hide from the creator of the universe, a bush. Uh, It apparently seemed to work on first glance because the Lord says, where are you? Had they succeeded? 
Did the Lord God really not know where they were? Alieka, <laughs> I think it is in Hebrew. Where are you? Three words in English. How did he say it? What tone was in his voice? Do you hear a, where are you? <laughs> did you ever get that tone from a parent at home <laughs> when you've done something wrong? Where are you? If I have to come up those stairs and see you, I'm going to make it worth my while, was what my father used to say to me. Fortunately, he never did. But <laughs> Or driving in the car. Did you ever get that one? I mean, I know this is an older generation of parents when it was acceptable to beat our children. And we, we, when you'd be driving in the car, and the, the, my dad would be driving, and we'd be squabbling in the back, the three brothers, and dad would say, if I have to stop this car, I'm going to make it worth my while. <laughs> and we knew what that meant. He never did, but we knew what it meant. I don't think that was God's tone. And if we look at the actual Hebrew in that word, it's actually the same, connected to the same root word from which we get the book of Lamentations. There's a lament. There's a cry. Where are you? Where is our connection? Where is our relationship? Why are you hiding from me? Because in one very real sense, they are hidden to God. That close relationship without fear was God. And they hid because they were ashamed. But Jesus came to reverse that. And he would show in his life and in his stories and the way he lived, God is for you. He took them out of the garden so they wouldn't be separated from God for eternity. He protected them from being cut off from God forever so that he could begin the process of a people restored. I just want to read some things today. I'm not going to go in depth into anything really today, unlike I often do, I know. But uh, I just want to read some scripture through quite a... Uh, a large bit, some of it, you, some of you will know really, really well, and others, it might be the first time you've heard it. But I just want to see if you can see the flow of God saying, I want to connect. Uh, I'm in Luke 14. Uh, let's, let's start from verse 15. So he's, he's at a, a meal at the moment, eating at the house of a a prominent Pharisee, and he's just told them about um, sort of the banquet in heaven, if you like. And uh, one of those at the table heard him say this and said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat in the, at the feast at the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. Now, whenever Jesus tells a story, it's good to ask questions about what is he communicating. His stories, his parables... Uh, the people in them relate to real-world things. Who is this certain man that's giving a banquet? The genius of many of the stories is sometimes the roles even change as to who they can be and what you can understand of God. Who is this man giving a banquet? A great banquet with invited many guests. It's God himself. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come! Everything is now ready. He's speaking to this table gathered at the Pharisee's house. 
The people already invited are the people sat there. He doesn't want them to miss what God is doing now. He doesn't want them to miss coming back into connection with God. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Entirely reasonable. He's got to check it out. I've just bought a house. I've just bought a car. I need to go and check it out. I can't be there. It's so easy to hear God's invitation but have an excuse about why not this time. Not right now. Because usually God's invitations mean put that down. Come and do this. Put that down. Pay this cost. Come this way. And leave what you're currently doing that's just you. So that you can come into my banquet and feast at my table. Because you don't know what that's like yet because you can't quite see it. But believe me, it's a lot better than what you're doing right now. Even if it is a new field. Why don't most people pour through that door into this place or into any other church building on Sundays? Because what they have is better. At least that's how they understand it. Who can tell them that it's not? Only the people that know it's not. You can't blame them. I'm not saying you should blame us. But there's a challenge. Because if we are, as Jesus was, in this world, there's something to communicate, isn't there? You don't need to raise your hands, but just, I'm going to ask the rhetorical question, how many of you love Jesus? Well, if you love him, you want to go to his party. His banquet. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. I've got to go for a test drive. I've got a brand new Peugeot. I'm going to the garage. I've got a test drive. I really haven't got time for that right now. I've got this. I've got that. Still another said, I just got married. I mean, that sounds pretty good, don't you think? I just got married. I don't have time for a a religious meeting. It's not a religious meeting. It's a connection with God. God doesn't like religious meetings either by which I mean just following legalistic ways. Just doing it because you should. I hope when we come on a Sunday, it's because we want to meet with God and meet with each other. I mean, there is always a sense, I suppose, of I should be there, but really, that should be very little of why we're here. I want to meet with God's people. I want to be at this foreshadowing of an eternal banquet. And it's a pale shadow, but it's still a shadow. It's still a place where you can feast and feed. Are you with me? You're all very quiet today. Maybe I'm being more thoughtful than I thought. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Oh, sorry, I missed a bit out. (laughs) The servant came back and reported this to the master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. 
bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Okay, we've got to imagine what words he's using back then. But he's trying to convey to these probably well-dressed people sat at this table, we're inviting all of those that you didn't invite to come and see at this table tonight because all of those have an invitation. It's all the... I don't like saying this because it implies I'm judging people who are, are lame and blind and crippled. But what Jesus is saying in his time is all those who are not acceptable, who are those who are seen as not perfect, all of those who are, you know, just a bit messy, the ones you didn't want, they're invited to the banquet. And if we're a shadow of the banquet, then it's time to see all the people from unconnected parts of our society sitting with us on a Sunday. And more important, us sitting with them. Amen, amen, amen. Just like Jesus sitting next to the woman at the well, it's, this is a well. This is an opportunity to sit next to those. That's right. And do you know what? If as a church we're full of people who are sorted, we've got it wrong. That's right. Every Sunday, yeah. you know, every Sunday it, it, it's time to have people who are the rejected of society. You know, not just the Christian rejected people, but those who even society regards as dodgy. You know, you shouldn't be able to leave your bag on your seat and wander off. I mean, it's lovely that you can, and, and, and also we pray that we can, but also, don't you want the place full of thieves? Yeah. And how much of you went at that point, no? Well, we don't want things stolen, but are we prepared to pay that possible cost of seeing lives changed? Or people that have had are having issues with drugs. I'm not talking about making it dangerous for the children. We, we, we have safety structures and policies, but we want people here who have lost all hope. That's what we're about. The people that really do need to take a shower. To put it another way. Are you ready for that? Because, to be honest, that's what we were anyway. Yeah. Most of us in this room, there was a time when we wouldn't have been the most popular person turning up in a congregation. Some of you are much more perfect, and that would have never happened because you've always looked lovely. But you know what I mean? None of us actually is ready for God's banquet, apart from how God made that access through Jesus. So there's nobody that can turn up here at any day of the week, let alone Sundays, and we can think, oh, I'm not sure it's great with them being here. If that's going through us, we've lost the heart of God. It might scare us, but that's just our natural fear yeah, yeah, yeah. that we can overcome with the love of God. Of you, Have you ever thought, if somebody wanders in that's got, let's just say issues, how difficult it was for them to come in? That's right. yeah. How sad if we ever reinforce that. Hallelujah. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. We could go into debt, but as I said, I'm not doing that today. Now Luke follows on with another story following the same thing. 
This time, large crowds are gathering, travelling with Jesus. So it's, it's not the same place, but Luke's put them together for purpose. Large crowds were turning, travelling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, oh, is this something we can say on Father's Day? If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow, Jesus, what are you asking here? Well, he can't be saying literally hate, because that would contradict the Old Testament. And he's not going to contradict the law as given. So he is expressing, and it's a very Jewish cultural thing of this time, you express with extremes, as in cut your hand off and guide your eye out, as he says at another place, to stop you from sinning. He's, He's stressing, this is so important. Don't think you can come to the banquet. Don't think you can follow me as a little bit of a convenience, kind of a a guarantee. There's some nice people there. I like hanging out with them, and then I'll get on with my life. He's saying, get rid of all of that, metaphorically, and follow me. Put me first. People, I don't know, those of you who have been around a while, you've probably done a Bible study at some point that asked you to put in order the priorities you should have in your life. Yeah, anybody ever done one of those? And of course, at the top, you're, everybody's got to put, because they know that it's got to have seek first the kingdom of God, seek God first. That's got to be there. Have you ever found the rest of the list can be really, really difficult? Where does church go then? Well, I've got to go to work. If I don't go to work, how do I mix with people? But then there's my wife, and then there's my family. Can I tell you something? Ignore those lists. The only commandment is put him first. Trust him and let everything else come into God's order. Because it changes. If you're on holiday with your wife and your family, your top of the list activity is going to be your wife and your family. That's what you're doing. But what God says in all of these things, what Jesus is saying is, I've got to be there. The number one. Because if I'm not, everything else will seem too hard and too difficult. You won't want to mix with the, as it says here, the blind and the lame. Because it'd be too expensive. And if we turn and too, yeah, expensive. I was going to say costly, but expensive came out. It will cost you money. Because if you just transpose it a little bit, if that's the right word, sounds good, I'll use it and think the blind are the spiritually blind. So they're the spiritually blind that do not know what you know. So they can do some things that you think, that really is messy. But that's because they don't yet know. Or the lane. It's very noisy, this microphone today. It's those who are lame, are, it speaks of those who are not walking very well. Are we ready to walk with them? He says this a little bit just after that as well. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? This seems very worldly, doesn't it? This is Jesus talking about building a tower and checking you've got enough money. It's almost like, well, that shouldn't be there. Jesus only said spiritual things. For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everybody who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Some of you sitting here today, you don't yet know Jesus as your 
your Lord, your Saviour. You, you wouldn't yet consider yourself a Christian. I know that you're on a journey. And I commend you for being on a journey because you need to check on the cost of the tower of surrendering to Jesus. Yeah. It's not just going to be that you fit in most Sundays or it's going to take over or he's going to take over your life. This will be your life. It's not, let's follow Jesus for three months and see how it turns out. It's surrender. It's, this is it. I am giving my life to him. The rest of my life. And if you are a father and today is Father's Day, you're effectively giving your family to God and saying, this is what I want for my family. It's going to change. It's going to change our priorities. We're going to make sure when we're invited, we're taking part in everything that God is doing, whether that's a, a local event in your community or whether it's a church event or whether it's Sunday morning. You're going to think, yeah, that's where we need to be. Because you've said, this is going to be the most important thing in my life. And if you're considering that cost, you're wise to consider that cost. I mean, if you do a cost-benefit analysis, it's going to come out really good because the benefits of following Jesus are amazing. But you're right to consider the cost because your family will not be the same. Your life will not be the same. Even your friends won't seem the same because you will change. God refers to it as the old creation going and a new creation coming. It's not that he's getting rid of you, it's that you're discovering who you are because you is defined and revealed in the connections you have with him and with the others of his body that he wants to put around you. It's costly. And if you've made that decision, it's good to remind yourself that Jesus said stuff like this. Yeah? Here's another odd example, really. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who cannot give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. That's tough language. And I was telling you that God wants to connect. Yes, but that's because God wants to connect. He doesn't want a loose association. He doesn't want you to just hear about him in the newspaper and think, oh yeah, what a, what a great God. He's doing some good things in the town of Scarborough. Fantastic, let's do my own thing. He's saying, no, come into a perfect, intimate, close, healing, peaceful, prosperous relationship with me. Let's walk together from now on. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. I haven't looked up the Greek for what was actually for the manure pile. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to be fit only for the manure pile. <laughs> We're supposed to be salty. Our call is to make this town better. Not worse, not make people feel worse, not make people feel uncomfortable, not make people feel judged. It should be better. If we go to the office party, it should be a better office party. Because the salt and the light are there. If we go shopping in Sainsbury's, isn't it good to, to leave the cashier just feeling a little bit better? You think, I don't know if I can do that. Look, God will give you the words. If you, if you go 
Wherever we go, it's to bring salt and light. To make the place better. It's not just about get on your knees and repent and give your life to Jesus. I want everyone to know Jesus through repentance. But sometimes they've just got to hear that God loves them first. Because they think they're not wanted. Like the lime and the, the lime, <laughs> the lime and the bland. <laughs> the, lime and, the lame and the blind, <laughs> not the lame. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the teeth. <laughs> like them, <laughs> they, can, they can think they won't be wanted at that Pharisee party. And Jesus is saying, but you're wanted at the banquet in heaven. There's a place for you there. And who's going to tell them? The servants are going to go out with the invitations into the streets and into the hedgerows and into the country lanes and into the byways and say, there's a king that's invited you. Do you want to come? And then, in that context of cost, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, which for those of you that don't know that, it's, I'm going to summarize that quickly because I'm not doing that. One sheep gets lost, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Now Jesus is telling you how much he values every person. He talks of a lost coin in this context as well. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. This is a very valuable coin. It's probably a, a wedding thing that would have been on her, on her head. She, uh, 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 that she had on her head. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? If you hear a message, a gospel message, if you hear a message where the message is, come and follow Jesus, repent. Repent means change your mind. It means say goodbye to your own way of doing things. And some of those things can look good, and some of them definitely aren't. Repent is still the same. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be in charge of just my own life. I'm going to follow Jesus because that's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for this community that we can have this explosion of connection with one another and with God again. Society is plagued with loneliness. The answer is the Trinity because the Trinity shows us that our, our, our very being, our health comes from connection. Science, science studies at the moment show that people who are lonely are more at risk of bad health physically and mentally than people who smoke heavily. Who is going to be an answer to that but the very people God has assigned to be an answer to that? Wow. It's good stuff. Anyway, then she rejoices that she founds her coin. So in this context of cost, is God saying, there's cost, but I'm looking for you. I don't want you to miss this. But the reason there is cost is because God doesn't want you to have some bland nothing. He wants you to enjoy the richness of the banquet. And for that, you've got to fully attend, not have a burger sent out. The burger would still be quite good, but you won't taste the richness of what is truly on the table. You can get quite a lot of blessing just by hanging out. We're Christians. You can get a lot of blessing hanging out with Christians, but it's still like having a burger compared to the fullness of being sat at the banquet yourself. And God is saying, come, I'm inviting you. Come in, wherever you are. 
whatever situation you're in, however rough it is or not rough it is, however bad or however good it is, come. There is a cost, though. Before you do it, work out how much it's going to cost. And you discover the cost is everything. And then you discover that you get everything given back to you. But not to do with as you want, but to live as he calls you. But of course, he's perfect. He's perfect in love. So he will call you to live according to how he's created you. He's not going to, Peter, Norman, I'm calling you to a higher level of discipleship. It's time for you to be prime minister. There's a desperate shortage of eligible candidates, I hear, so... Could be worse. <laughs> Could be worse, yes. It's unlikely, I feel, I might be wrong, and I'm sorry if I'm contradicting a prophetic word that's over your life, that Pete is not called to be prime minister. It's not his strength of gifting to be in the midst of all that conflict. I mean, it's one of the world's worst jobs, isn't it? to be attacked on all sides and try and lead people who are voting you out. I mean, it's, it, it's a nightmare job. I don't think that's what God's suddenly going to say to him because that's what not God has created him to be. He's created him to be a wise mentor. He's, he's created him to be a man who will speak wisdom into your life and disciple you. He's created a guy who can put, gather guys around him and encourage them in the Lord. Oh, and he's pretty good on the guitar. Now... <laughs> <laughs> but so when God calls Peter he won't I don't know why I'm calling you Peter this is a formal morning <laughs> Peter come to the banquet he's going to use the gifts and anointing that's within him so yes he is going to be on stage playing guitar because he's an amazing guitarist how many times has your face melted during the solo? <laughs> In all this context, and I'm actually coming to the end, even though it's a long parable, we're going to jump through it, because for many of you, you've heard this many times. If you haven't, go and read this and study this beautiful parable. In the context of all this cost comes the parable of the forgiving father, sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. Jesus continued in the context of God searching and looking for people. He continues this story. The father is literally the father. The son is literally someone who is a child. Either someone who already is one of his followers or somebody who doesn't know him at all yet. It doesn't really matter. He had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property amongst them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. God's given us so much. It's so easy to squander it. After he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him, into, uh, sent him to feed into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to feed his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Remember, his audience is Jewish. The pigs would have been an unclean animal. 
This guy is rock bottom. He's working with pigs and he's even feeling like eating the pig food. This guy has hit rock bottom. The father gave him everything he asked you. I don't know why some people think the father won't answer prayers. He answered this, in this story, you see the father knowing what the son's going to do and still gives him what he's requesting. Why would God not answer your prayer? He knows the outcome of all of it. The only reason he wouldn't answer a prayer is if it's going to put you in a place apart from him and in danger or whatever like that. He wants to answer your prayer. And you have access to all of his wealth already. It's yours for the taking. It's there. Everything you need to live the life that he's given you is there. All wisdom, all provision, it's there. Even when you hit rock bottom, it's there. But more importantly, he's there. The Father is there. I mean, we've been through some tough times in the past 12 months, but he's there. You know, we're, 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 we've been battered, we've been knocked down, we've lost people very dear to us, some promoted to heaven. It's been really costly. You say, yeah, I know about the cost. Yeah, we know about the cost. But what else is there? What else have we got? Well, where else shall we go? This is what we decided to do. This is who we're following. And, and, and all these people out there, they, they need that healing. They need that salvation. They need that completeness. We need to see abuse defeated. We need to see addiction defeated. We need to see people's lives turned round in God. That's what we signed up for. That's what we're doing. But even when we hit rock bottom in that, and maybe you felt like you've hit rock bottom, you need to know he's there. Because that's what Jesus goes on to say in this story. I mean, the son doesn't think... This is going to turn out very well. He knows he's completely abused his position as a son. He shouldn't have demanded his inheritance. If we go into the Jewish culture of the time, if, from what he's already done, and he goes back to his village, he's, he's, every expectation would he would be exiled from the village. He, he didn't deserve a place there. But he thinks, well, I know my father. I don't think he's going to exile me. But he doesn't really know his father. His father has got some other, much better plan. Because the father, when Adam and Eve hit rock bottom, when the connection was broken and he cried out, where are you? In the Hebrew, it could be translated because of the root word to lamentations. God crying out, oh, woe is me. God has chosen to make himself vulnerable to the people he has created. We do affect him. He's not a stern, remote person that is unaffected by our plight. Oh, woe is me. And as you see in this parable, the father is watching for the son to return. What do you think is in his heart when his son didn't return the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before? The father was disappointed. He wanted to see him again. I suppose God isn't disappointed because he knows what's going to happen. But there's still that pain of disconnection. In his heart, he wants to be reconnected Amen. with every person, even those who've hit rock bottom feeding pigs on a farm. And apologies if that's your actual job right now. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He came to his senses. So he went back. If you've been anywhere else, come to your senses today and come back. Know that he loves you. The word father can be so loaded because of people who have had absent fathers, people who have had abusive fathers. But know that this father is not abusive and he is not absent, but is there watching for you. He, won't, he can't force you or it won't be love. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was looking. As soon as anybody makes that turn, he's looking. Even if they're still covered in pig. It doesn't mention whether he's had a shower or not. I think he just decided to go home. He's probably covered. He would have been that clean. He didn't have the resources. But the father's not looking for you to be clean. He can do that. He's just looking for you to return. He's just looking for you to come up the road. And in the, when, when Jesus told the story, what happens next in that culture was, would have been shocking to the listeners. One, because the son wasn't exiled from the village, and that's what he deserved. But also, the father sees the son, hitches up his robes, because he'd have been on robes, and that's the only way you can do it, and ran down the road and threw his arms around him. That was horrific in the culture because the culture said if you're of a certain age and you're wealthy like this man was, you don't demean yourself running through the streets like a child. The father shouldn't have even been looking for him. If he really was going to take him back, he should have had a servant doing that bit. The servant would bring the boy back into the presence. But the father himself was looking. And the father himself ran down the streets. He, the father himself exposed his legs. And people around would have been, oh, that's, oh, disgusting. Who does he think he is? I thought he was a man of dignity. Who does God think he is? Just looking out for these wretches. He should have servants to do that. The moment the wretch appears at the bottom of the street, God hitches his skirts up, his robes up, and belts it down the street. And whether they're covered in pig dung or not, he throws his arms around them and says, Welcome home. Amen, 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 amen. And the son tries to, well, he, he gets out his speech. Uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Yes, he had. It's good to say that. You need to say that. You need to repent. But the next bit, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Immediately he starts going down that route. The father cuts him off. We're not even thinking about that. You are my son. Your restoration, your reconnection in God. God says, you are, my father, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. Actually, whether you're male or female, it's a son because you've got all the rights of all the inheritance. In your position, whatever your gender, you're a son because you have all the full inheritance from God. I was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, 
and kissed him. I've preached for hours on just that verse, so I'm tempted, but I won't because I'm looking up there. But that's when the son says, in the middle of the hug, in the middle of the kiss, in the middle of the acceptance, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And then says that I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's trying to realize that the way he's blown it, he doesn't deserve to be here. So maybe if he could just work here. The father wants him sitting at the banquet table. The father wants you sitting at the banquet table. He doesn't look at you and think you're not worthy. Jesus has died to make you worthy in him. He doesn't look at you and see the sin. When you repent, the sin is washed from you. He sees you in white robes. And his heart is like, yes! The the idea of this Middle Eastern, first century father running down the road, it would have been such an odd picture, such a wrong picture to the people listening. And yet Jesus is talking about God being willing to look stupid. God not caring for his dignity. Because this was a son returning. I mean, God pretty clearly showed he cared nothing for his dignity. If it was about seeing the son's return. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found, and they began to celebrate. There was a party going on. Let's finish with the older one, shall we? Because very often the older one, well, let's just read it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. You see, the younger one is anyone who knows he's sinned, and the older son is anyone who thinks God owes him something. I've been in your church 22 years. I've even cleaned the toilets and hoovered the floor and washed the walls and served in the hub. I've been in the worship team. I've preached. I've done the sound. I've been on the streets talking about you. God, you owe me something. And that's you then. You're an elder son. God owes you nothing. No matter how well you've been a servant, he will commend you. Well done, good and faithful servant, but he owes you nothing. He owes you nothing more than the person that returned yesterday because it's all by grace. We are not not superior to the person that walks in off the street with many issues appearing amongst them. We are inferior because we have a greater revelation and still we sin. The person who has an addiction to alcohol and is drinking and drinking is not inferior to you. You have a revelation that's enabled you to stay free from that. They are superior to you because they are now seeking. Where did the church ever, 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 ever think I'm better than that around us? We are not better than the world. We're, we're far worse. We know far much more about who God is. And we haven't changed it. We're all elder sons here. We're already sitting at the party, or nearly everybody. The elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
How dare they celebrate the guy that squandered everything? Yeah, they they're celebrating because he's reconnected with his father. Everything else pales into insignificance. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older son was, oh, that's amazing, brilliant, ran in and gave his brother a big hug. Uh, actually, that didn't happen in this story. When somebody comes back, let's, 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 let's make it real. When somebody walks back through that door on a Sunday morning who's not been here a while and maybe did some things that were very regrettable when they were away, what's going to be your reaction when they walk back through the door? Oh, they're back. Or will you run and hug them? Like the father. Because it's so easy to skip into the elder son and think we're doing the right thing. We're not called to judge. That's God's business. We're called to show his love and acceptance and communicate the truth, which does call people to repentance, but we don't make them repent. If we ever make someone repent, they aren't actually repenting because they're repenting to you and what you've put upon them. We can usually make people repent through fear and shame. So we've just joined the other side for a while rather than God's side who calls people to repent through love and acceptance because you realize how much God loves you and how much he accepts you. You want to be right with him. Not you're ashamed of him and and fearful of him so you don't want to go near. The father... Let's come back to the father. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. He's right. The younger son didn't deserve any of this. He's right in that, I suppose. What is wrong is in what he then does. But so I love what happens next. And so often it's missed out. The brother became angry. The brother was a bad guy. The younger son was great end of story but it does that's not the end of the story because this isn't actually a story about the sons it's a story about the father and how the father relates to his people us it says so the father went out the father left the banquet the father left the party the father left the younger son and went out to the older son now, the way the older son was treating his father, again, get back into a first century mindset. This is bad. You do not treat your elders, your father, in this manner. You don't expect them to come out to you. But whether he expected it or not, the father did it. Jesus was saying, your father in heaven is not like the fathers you have known on earth. You, you may have had a really good father or a really poor father, but your father in heaven is way beyond every father experience we've had on this earth. Having a good father can limit your perception of how good God is. Having a poor father or an abusive father, you can actually be set free from that and encounter God in his true love. Don't think that you're, oh, I'm forever at a disadvantage because of the way my father treated me. You're not. You can be an advantage. Because you'll never have an earthly understanding of fatherhood. You can only get a heavenly one. God can turn everything around. I'm nearly at the end. 
So his father went out. And this is really weird when you think who this father is. And pleaded with him. And the father's pleading with all of us, come in. Don't hang around on the outside. And, and, and whatever you do, kids, whatever you do, my children, don't stop somebody else coming in either. Come in with them. Come in and dance and celebrate and sing with them. I'll do all the sorted out. You just need to love them and walk with them and encourage them. I'll do that. I'll do the other stuff. Just, just son, come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He thinks he deserves something. Do you think God deserves some, you deserve something from God? Have you ever prayed for somebody? Apologies to Sally, but I'm going to use you as an example. I'm going to pray for Sally's healing, okay? Father, I thank you that Sally has been such an amazing servant of yours. Father, I thank you that she's served children and made your name known. Father, I thank you that she has lifted your name up in front of thousands of people. Father, I thank you for the number of children that know Jesus because of her. And Father, I now pray for her healing. What am I saying? She deserves the healing because of the work she's done. All that I said is true. But that she doesn't deserve healing because of that. Healing is by grace. Healing is through God's mercy. So why do we pray like that? It is. It's weird. That's a good word. It's weird. And if we do pray like that, and it becomes a culture of praying like that, what are you going to do when you pray for the person to be healed whose life's terrible? <laughs> Father, I thank you that we can pray here today. <laughs> anyway, you're not called to pray for healing. You're called to heal. In his name. He said, lay hands on the sick, heal them. He didn't say pray for them. Anyway, the son thinks he deserves something. And it's so easy as we sit here today, especially as I said, we have been through a tough year. We've lost family members that have died. We've lost friends because they've gone to other parts of the country or aren't walking with us anymore for some reason. Things have not happened that we wanted to happen. Maybe you really wanted that promotion or that finance to come through, and it didn't happen. It can get tough, and it has been tough. We've got to acknowledge that. You know, when, when the pastor comes and talks about the cost of discipleship, and we're thinking, I'm staggering already. But I'm still going to tell you that, because it, the cost doesn't make us deserve we cannot be praying, God caused this church to grow because we've remained faithful to you through difficult times. We've remained faithful through grace and mercy. So we can thank God that we're being faithful today, but that God doesn't owe us anything. But actually, it's really, really freeing when you know he doesn't because he gives it anyway. Kate was telling me about you praying for grace, your daughter. And you were anything but in the right frame of mind for that prayer of healing. She said, you, you were almost angry, is that right? Just, well, you weren't in the right frame of mind. It was like, God, just do this type of prayer. 
Maybe you weren't as aggressive as that because you were with Grace. But in your head you were, I bet. I know you. But anyway, she didn't pray with the right mindset. She forgot to thank God for all the good things about Grace. <laughs> and Grace was healed of something that's been wrong since she was about 11. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to embarrass Grace. Um, but she was completely, and it was one of those healings you see it in front of you. She didn't pray in the right mindset, but she didn't pray thinking, I deserve this to happen because I'm your faithful servant. She just prayed, God's mercy, in your grace, it's got to happen. Maybe we should pray like that a lot more. It's not me, it's not my way I'm praying. You know, those times when before you... I mean, I'm not saying never do this because I some, you know, we sometimes do this just to get our focus. But, you know, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's pray for Claire's healing. What are you doing? Heal her then. You can't do that in Sainsbury's. A cashier tells you there's something wrong. Really? Oh, karama so karama. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the cashiers. Security. Yeah, security. We're doing. Yeah, yeah, you need the keyboard. Maybe it's just coming down the little black runner. As it goes past, you can play a solo. An anointed solo to release the healing. Just play in the spirit for a little bit. Brian could play keyboard like that. <laughs> no, you've just got to do it. Well, I pray. Healed in Jesus' name. Whatever. It's not the words. It's an attitude of he does it, not me. It's not that you've been walking with God 25 years or 25 minutes. It's just you're trusting him. In fact, you can pray for healing even before you're saved if you want. It's amazing what God will answer. Because it's mercy and it's grace. He loses it a bit and this is the end. You never even gave me a young goat. You never even gave me a car. You never even gave me a house. You never even gave me a new coat. You never even gave me an iPhone. You never even gave me a computer. But when this son of yours, not my brother, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, he doesn't change the language. He doesn't say, my son's brother. <laughs> my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. I want you to hear those words from the father today the healing you need, the provision you need, the rent that needs to be paid. Everything I have is yours. Don't try and get it because you deserve it. Don't come in and, you know, do an extra spot of cleaning in the summit to get a healing. If you're going to come and do stuff here, you can't because you love Jesus. Not so that God will do something, because it doesn't work like that. Don't go and make your neighbour a cup of tea and mow their lawn because you think that will make God answer your prayers. It just doesn't work like that. We do those things because 
God loves us and we want to show the love of God. From a place of acceptance, not trying to get acceptance. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And tantalizingly, Jesus never tells us what happened next. (laughs) Of course he didn't. Because what happens next is we are placed into the story. The end of the story is determined by us and how we live. So in that long flow through scripture that I've done there, I wanted to go from the cost to showing you the Father pay far more. The Father will pay far more. Jesus will pay far more. Yes, it's a cost. Don't ever do it thinking I'll give it a go. You might... You might do it saying, I don't know if I'm capable. Well, you're not. That's the other great thing. None of us are capable of doing this. But on the other side, full of the Holy Spirit, God will enable you to do things you never thought could happen. Because he doesn't look at you and think, he looks at you and thinks, wow, I love you. And when you're cut off from him, he doesn't go off in a half and hide until you come back. He's the one walking in the garden saying, where are you? I miss our time together. Oh, woe is me. She's missing. Isn't that? Do you believe you can influence God that much? I do because he made us emotional. If you think of a human relationship that breaks and the pain there is, that disconnection, what are you seeing? God's pain, the disconnection. We're made in his image. He doesn't just live in fluffy clouds with bunnies hopping around. So as I finish, can we just stand for a moment? Father, we pray that by your grace and in your mercy, you you will take what's been said this morning and it will feed us and cause us to grow in you. Father, we know we deserve nothing. But Father, we come to you in mercy, appealing to your grace. Father, show us favour. Show us your grace. Show your favour upon everything that we do in this town because, Lord, we, we just want to show people Jesus. Father, the word that's over this place, that it will be heard that Jesus is in the house. Father, we pray. And that is not just a word, but it will be heard that Jesus is in the house. We rejoice, Lord, that we know that around this town it's known as a safe place. It's known as a place where, where, where there is peace. But, Father, the fullness of your word is that it will be heard that Jesus is in the house. Father, we don't want people to come because we're great or because we've got great worship or someone one Sunday preached a good word or even that we're really friendly. Father, actually, those things are all good, but we want people to come here to meet with you in your Son and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, that it would be you that's famous, not kingdom faith. Jesus, that it would be you that's gossiped in the town, not us. And Holy Spirit, it would be you that would be out in the town encountering people through us, not just us on our own. 
Hallelujah. Father, as we were singing earlier, send your spirit. Let your love flow through us. We would not dare to be the elder son, thinking we deserve something or looking down upon anyone that would come through that door or we encounter in our daily lives. Lord, that we would live by grace. We would discover how to truly live is to consider others better than ourselves because I think all of us in this room would put our hands up and say we don't do that. That's got to be you. That's impossible. I might be able to do that for some, but I never do it for everybody. Oh God, change us, that we would be like Jesus in the world. That we would be examples of what Jesus is like. Showing your love, your mercy, your grace, your acceptance. Father, we pray for many, many, many well-type experiences where we can sit next to somebody who at one time we would have considered going nowhere near. Father, people whose lifestyles are miles away from you in whatever it is, whether it's the way they bring up their children or whether it's their sexuality, whatever it is where we differ, Father, we pray we could sit next to them because we know that even as they would be changed, we will be changed too. Father, we know that as people come and are added to this congregation, Father, we're going to change as well and it will be you that's changing us as we learn to experience your love and your compassion. Just take a minute to ask God, if you're in this place, if you're not, if you're angry with what I've been saying, for example, don't. But if you're in the right place, ask God to forgive you when you've not wanted certain people to be in the building. Because maybe you're afraid, maybe you don't like them, maybe you're scared of them, maybe it's their lifestyle, whatever it is, just ask God to forgive you. Because it actually represents our failure to go into the party with them. We're not putting common sense and we're not putting wisdom to one side. We're not saying we're not going to keep people safe. This is a place of safety. Hallelujah. Amen. And if you don't know God as Father, because you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to follow you, then why not make Father's Day the day where you say, yes, I want to follow the Father. What a great day to do it. You'll remember it every year. Yeah. Father's Day, the day I met the Father, the day I looked down the road and the Father ran to me. I didn't think I was good enough. I, I thought I would have to, the, the least I could do was just sort of help out in the church. And God says, no, I want you fully in the family, son. I, I want you to experience my full love, my full intimacy. I want us to walk together in the garden. Why not make today the day you say, okay, no to self, yes to God. You've been considering the cost anyway. But at some point you have to just jump into the arms of the Father and find that he's there ready for you. If that's you, then today, make that today. How can you do that? Well, you can come and talk to me right after, and I'll explain more. And also there's our cross banner at the back, where if for any reason you want prayer after this service, if you go to the cross banner, there'll be people to talk with you, pray with you, whatever it is, speak a prophetic word over you, anoint you with oil, whatever. It's going to take you on from what God's doing in you right now. That's there, over the back. But please... If God's calling you, 
If you can hear that voice of the Father saying, come. Don't say, I've got a house to build or a field to keep or oxen to look after. Just say yes and come and feast at the banquet. Amen? God bless you, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Don't forget, Thursday nights are fully flowing and on, so particularly if you want to pray and go deeper in prayer and deeper in worship, Thursday nights are fabulous for that. Half past seven, Thursday nights. Um, be great to uh, see you then as well. But just have a wonderful week. Go and love God. God bless. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.